0: Please join me in standing as we read from the book of Jonah. This is our third week. The third week we have joined Jonah on his desperate flight away from God's commission. This week we come to chapter 2, which really begins... In the last verse of chapter 1, join with me there, jo- Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. I'm going to read all the way through chapter 2, verse 10. Follow along with me as I read. Jonah 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As I said, this is the third week we have been accompanying Jonah on his flight away from Yahweh, we saw in chapter 1 that Jonah had been given a privileged commission by Yahweh, a privileged role to take the message of God's unthinkable mercy to his enemies. Yahweh had chosen Jonah to participate with him in this mission of unthinkable mercy. But Jonah refuses the commission. Jonah refuses to take up that role. In an act of retirement, laying down the role, he flees desperately away from the presence of Yahweh. As I said last week, he forces seeks to force Yahweh's hand He says, I will not go and preach mercy to your enemies. Find someone else. I would rather die than take unthinkable mercy to people who are not deserving. I would rather die. But it is not that easy, Jonah. The election, the choosing of Yahweh is without repentance Once Yahweh has placed his choosing love and purpose upon you, you cannot flee from him. And so in an act of relentless mercy, Yahweh pursues him. Yahweh hurls a great wind upon the sea and causes a hurricane for Jonah and his companions. Jonah, while the men aboard the ship, are dying, getting ready to face death. They're crying out to their God, seeking salvation from someone. Jonah sleeps in the bottom of the ship. Jonah's immoral slumber as he sleeps while men are dying. They wake Jonah up. The captain confronts Jonah Calls out to Jonah that, or tells Jonah to call out to his God so that maybe, perhaps, they would not perish. And then Jonah then gives an empty confession. He confesses to them that he is one who fears Yahweh. The God who made the sea and the dry land. The God of heaven. And this confession is empty. The sailors, remember what the sailors say, what are you doing? What have you done? You and your flight from Yahweh has brought danger, peril, death upon all of us. Indicting Jonah. They then ask Jonah, what is to be done to you? How can we atone the wrath of this God, Yahweh? And Jonah tells them, to throw him into the sea. Again, Jonah would rather die than repent. Jonah would rather die than carry out the Lord's commission. They do eventually throw him into the sea. And this is a very selfish sacrifice on the part of Jonah. But once again, we see Yahweh's sovereign mercy. While Jonah... Is in the sea. They've thrown him overboard and Jonah is sinking in the waves. While that is going on, on board the ship, Yahweh is working salvation for the lost mariners. They come to fear Yahweh, praise him for his salvation, offer sacrifices and vow vows to Yahweh. And while they are being converted, Jonah is sinking, but he still can't get away from Yahweh. And that's where chapter 2 picks up. Jonah would rather die than carry out the Lord's commission. But again, Yahweh's relentless mercy pursues Jonah. Jonah, you, you cannot lay down. Your purpose. You cannot lay down your role. Yahweh is going to pursue him. So Jonah again will not be given his way. And that is what we see in verse 17. We see Jonah's appointed death. Look at verse 17. Jonah's appointed death. And the Lord appointed, it means he had prepared. The Lord had prepared this moment for Jonah. He knew what Jonah was going to do. He knew where Jonah was going to end up. This is not outside of the Lord's sovereignty. The Lord knows this all. And he had appointed, he had prepared. The the fish, the picture is the fish is there ready to receive Jonah when Jonah is thrown overboard. He had appointed a fish, a great fish. It says, to swallow up Jonah. To swallow up in the Old Testament is always a picture of judgment. A picture of judgment. This is the Lord's judgment upon Jonah. But it is also the Lord's rescuing of Jonah. The fish swallows up Jonah, and he was in the belly, it says, of the fish, three days and three nights. Now, three days and three nights is an idiom. Do you know, do you know what an idiom is? Three days and three nights. The importance is not the actual time, three days and three nights. Jonah was in the, the belly of the fish. He's not able to see the sun or the sunset. He's not able to, he doesn't have a watch an apple watch in the belly of the fish. The, the phrase three days and three nights is an idiom referring to the time it takes in the ancient mind, in ancient literature, the time it takes for the human soul to go from the land of the living to the land of death, to the netherworld. It is the time it takes for the human soul to travel to the place of death. So, when Jonah says, or when the book says, he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, this is a way of saying Jonah went to death. You remember when Lazarus was raised from the dead? You remember what it says there that he had been dead how many days? Four days. In other words, he's dead. The three days has passed. Three days and three nights, it's passed. He's now four days in. There's he, He's passed to death. He stinks, is what they say. So this idea was common, three days and three nights, the passage of the human soul from life to death. He's in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights. But then look at verse 1 of chapter 2. So he's in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights, which pictures death. He went to death. But then verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Now, you don't see this in your English translation, but the word for belly there is a little bit different. Verse 17, it it is the belly of the fish. In verse 1 of chapter 2, it is the word often translated womb. Womb, it's the female version of that word. So you have the belly, and now you have the womb of the fish. Again, what comes forth from the womb? Life. So here, even, you have a subtle indicator that this death that Jonah has been brought to will issue forth in life. Jonah's appointed death, Yahweh has prepared this death for Jonah. But it is not meant to be the end. In fact, Yahweh intends to save through death. Notice I didn't say from death. Yahweh did not choose to save from death. He chooses to save through death. And through this death... Yahweh will rescue Jonah from his disastrous flight. We hit on this last week, and it's important, I think, to hit on it again. The mercy of Yahweh. The mercy of Yahweh is relentless and will rescue his people from their disastrous courses. God is so faithful, He is so good, He is so loving, He is so merciful, that He will not allow His chosen people to flee from Him. He will pursue them. And often, that pursuit will look like judgment. It is judgment. But a judgment meant to rescue. The discipline of the Lord is something that we can be very thankful for. He is a faithful father who rescues us from ourselves. If we were left to ourselves, what would we do? But our Lord pursues us as he pursued Jonah, as he pursues his people. Jonah's appointed death then leads to chapter 2, The poem, the poetry we see, the psalm we see in chapter 2 where Jonah details Yahweh's merciful deliverance. Jonah's appointed death leads to Yahweh's merciful deliverance. Now, we've changed genre. You know what a genre is? It's a type of writing. Did you know the Bible is written in all different types of genres, and you have to read genres according to their genre? Okay, so you you want you want to understand. We've switched genre here, and there's something a little bit different going on with this uh, portion, this chapter two, and it is this psalm, this poem is sandwiched between two narrative markers you have uh, the lord appointed a great fish to swallow up jonah and in verse 10 of chapter 2 the lord spoke to the fish and it vomited jonah out so those two narrative markers actually frame out this poem it is the poem is seen as taking place within the belly of the fish and yet it is obvious when you're reading the poem that the poem was written after he was delivered from the fish but it's set in between these two narrative markers to, to indicate that this, this is Jonah's death that he experiences and Yahweh's deliverance from death. Now, when you're reading poetry, when you're reading poetry, you want to look for parallelisms. Okay, parallelisms give you uh, the structure of the poem. And so I've broken the poem down for us. It's very hard to provide an outline a lot of times for a poem. Poems don't work that way. But I've tried to do that for our benefit. You always merciful deliverance from death here pictured in the, in the mouth of Jonah. Verse 2, verse 2, you have the summary of the deliverance. Look at it there, verse 2. Jonah says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. That there is a parallelism. So if you look at it right there, verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. And then in the second part of that parallelism, he tells you what his distress was. What was his distress? He says, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. So he says the same thing, just in different language. His distress was that he was in the belly of Sheol. Sheol is the term used for grave. It's, it's just an indication of the place of the dead, the place where the dead go. So he says that his distress was death itself. He was in the belly, the belly of the fish was the belly of his death, the grave. The fish served as his tomb, the place where he died. But in that place of death, he cried out to the Lord, and it was the Lord who heard him, even from death. So there in verse 2, you have a summary of the deliverance that Jonah is going to experience. And here is something very interesting. On this whole journey we've been on with Jonah. Yahweh tells him to arise, go to Nineveh, call out. Arise, go to Nineveh, call out. The captain says, arise, call out to your God. And the entire time, Jonah has said, no, I will not arise, I will Go down. I will flee. And if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you've seen that. He goes down, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah has been on a journey down, away from God's presence. But here you have the beginning of Jonah's ascent. Jonah begins to go up. Here in verse 2. The songs of ascent in the in the Psalms. Psalm 120 begins the song or the songs of ascent. These were the songs that the Jewish people sang as they traveled up for the Jewish feasts. They traveled to the temple. They traveled to the presence of the Lord. They would sing the songs of ascent as they traveled to the holy place of God. And the beginning of the songs of ascent starts. I cried to the Lord out of my distress, and he delivered me. The songs of ascent begin the same way that Jonah's psalm begins. He begins his upward movement now. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You see the summary of the deliverance. And then in verse 3 through 6, You see the deliverance, his deliverance rehearsed. So he's going to explain, he's going to give the details of this deliverance. Verse 3, he says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Do you see what he says there? Jonah says... That it is the Lord's doing. The Lord is the one who has placed him in the sea. He says, you've cast me into the deep. Into the heart of the seas and the floods around me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And if you've read the story, you, you think to yourself, that's not how it went. Jonah is the one who was fleeing. Jonah is the one who wanted to be cast into the sea. The sailors were the one who hurled him into the sea. And yet Jonah is admitting here that this all was the act of the Lord. The judgment that is upon him is the Lord's doing. You, he says, cast me into the deep. Your waves, your billows passed over me. The Lord is the one sovereign over this judgment, Yahweh's sovereign judgment. And then, verse 3 stands in, in parallel with verse 5. I want you to look at verse 5. The waters, again, what she has said is from Yahweh's hand, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me, weeds were wrapped about my head. Look at those, look at those three lines right there. The water's closed in over me. The deep surrounded me, weeds were wrapped about my head. He is being enclosed, he is being closed in by death. The waters, the deep, the weeds are all closing in around him. And in verse 6, he says, At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Here, Jonah pictures a descent down to the roots of the mountains. The mountains, the base, the bottom of the sea, the bottom of the mountains. This was believed to be the entrance into the place of the dead. The base, the roots of the mountains, this was where he was going to enter into the afterlife. The base of the mountains, pictured here as death. What, what is at the top of those mountains? In the Jewish thinking, what is at the top of the mountain? The top of the mountain is the city of Zion. You want to go up to Zion. You want to go to be in the presence of the Lord at the top of the mountain. And he says, here he is at the bottom, as far down as you can go, even to death. He is as far away from Zion as he could possibly be. The roots of the mountains, it was there. He went down to the land whose bars, the bolts, closed upon him forever here Jonah Jonah is saying he died now whether he physically died or not people have speculated and debate I actually believe he experienced death there the bars closed upon him forever but right in the middle of that you see I I, I pointed out verse 3 and then verse 5 and 6 Right in the middle of that, you have verse 4. And this, in verse 4, is actually his prayer. Okay, I don't know if you caught that. So it says he prayed prayed this prayer when he was in the belly of the fish. But but all of it is obviously written after he had been delivered, except for this one little part. This is actually his prayer. Verse 4 is what he actually prayed. Look at verse 4. Then I said... I am driven away from your sight. Again, who was it that fled? It was Jonah that fled. But here he says, no, Lord, I fled, but you took me and you drove me away from your sight. Yet, this is what he prays, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. I want to sit in this just for a moment. Do you see the simplicity of this prayer? The simplicity of this prayer. He is, in very simple, very simple terms, he is acknowledging the Lord's sovereignty in judging him. And at the same time, he is confessing, he is turning again to look upon the presence of, of the Lord, That's the significance of Holy Temple. That's where the presence of the Lord dwelt. He says, I was driven away from your sight. But I am done running. I will look again upon your presence, is what he's saying. I want you. I want to be right with you. At the base of the mountains, as far away as you can go from Zion, he turns there and he says, this is, this is what's happened. He says, I'm going to flee, Lord. I'm going to flee from your presence. And the Lord says, okay, you want to flee? I'll take I'll take You want to go down? Okay, I'll take you down. You want to go down? I will take you as far down as can be pursued. I will take you as far down as you can go. I'll take you to the base of the mountains, to death itself. And it was there that Jonah recognized the sovereignty of Yahweh and turned and looked back again at the top of the mountain and said, I will look again upon your holy temple. And that was his prayer. I will again look upon your holy temple. He was at the place of death And from death, he confessed and turned back to the Lord's presence. This this is so basic and yet so important to hear again. The depths of God's mercy for sinners. There is not a place that you can go too far from God's presence. There is not a place you can go in sin and rebellion. There is not a place you can go where the Lord is unable to hear you. There is not a place too deep for God's mercy to reach. And here we see even at the base of the mountains, even at the place of death, the simple prayer of Jonah, I will turn to you again. And at the end of verse 6, you have this one statement. He says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. But then he says, yet you brought up my life from the pit. The pit, the place of decay. The place of death. He says, You brought my life up from the pit, O oh, Lord, my God. You remember the sailors who cried out to their gods. Here you have Jonah talking to his God. For the first time, he's talking to his God. Even when he fled, he didn't talk to the Lord, he fled in silence. Remember? But here at the place of death, he talks to the Lord and he says, My God, Yahweh, my God, you brought up my life from the pit. Oh Lord, my God. The Lord rescues him from death. He rescues him through death. Death. And then in verse 7, Jonah gives a final summary of this deliverance. He says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Again, I would just, I would just implore you this morning, if you have been running from God You realize that you have been running from God. There is no place that you have gone where his mercy cannot reach. I would just implore you to turn again to him and he can rescue you from your sin. This is what Jonah says happened. My prayer came to you into your holy temple when my life was fainting away. And then in verse 8. In verse 8 and 9, Jonah declares his thanksgiving for the salvation of Yahweh. And this, this is important to read carefully. It says, after his salvation, verse 8, he says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Jonah declares his thanksgiving for the mercy that he has been shown. But it's interesting how he does so. Look at what he says. He says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Now what Jonah says is true. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But this is very important. This end of chapter 2, this end of the psalm, is meant to be contrasted with what's happened up on the boat above the water. While Jonah is sinking in the waves, the sovereign waves of God, bringing judgment upon Jonah, as Jonah is sinking down to the depths, aboard the ship, a work of salvation is occurring. Those who paid heed to vain idols are being saved by the mercy of God. And Jonah is shown here to not yet understand how far God's mercy goes. He contrasts himself with those who are idol worshipers. And there's, there's a sense of pride in what he says here. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, I, unlike all those out there, those pagan, idolatrous, undeserving people, I will give you thanksgiving. I will sacrifice to you, Lord, what I have vowed I will pay. There is a pride in Jonah's experience of mercy. How is that possible? Jonah here parallels, he here represents the nation of Israel itself. Israel who had been shown much mercy by Yahweh, and yet they took great satisfaction and pride in being the elect of God. Now I know we would never struggle with that pride. I heard a pastor last week talking about another congregation somewhere else. He said, sometimes I think that we believe God loves us because we are reformed in our soteriology. God loves us because we are right theologically. We are right doctrinally. Therefore, we are God's people. And there's a pride in that. A pride that causes us to think well of ourselves and bring judgment upon all of those who are not like us. We, believe it or not, we also can be guilty of great pride in the face of being shown great mercy. The mercy shown to Jonah does not humble him. It does not have the humbling effect that it should. Have you ever, have you ever read chapter 2 and thought to yourself, how does this fit? Have you ever done that? If if you haven't you haven't read carefully because it's like it, it seems like he re- it seems like he repents it seems like he he experiences God's mercy and then you still have chapter three and chapter four you still have chapter four what what's going on well well he rejoices in the mercy that Yahweh extends to him his his rejoicing is sincere he's thankful he offers thanksgiving but there's still this pride with Jonah. Believing that as the elect of God, he has a place above those who are pagan idolaters. And then at the end of this poem, he says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. He here declares what the sailors on ship have already declared. Lord, you have done as it pleased you. Lord, you are sovereign. And here Jonah declares salvation belongs to the Lord and it's so ironic because he is being asked to go to a people and extend mercy to them. To Jonah, that is unthinkable. And yet here he at the same time he declares that salvation belongs to the Lord. He will have mercy. The Lord can save. The Lord will save those whom he wants to save. Salvation belongs to the Lord and Jonah can't see it. You want to say, Jonah, Jonah, do you know what happened above you? Do you know what happened on the ship while you, while you were down in the, in the sea? Do you know what took place up there? Yahweh worked salvation for pagan idol-worshiping sinners. we see that the mercy upon Jonah's life has not had the humbling effect it should have had. We see that actually given to us subtly in the text, verse 10. Verse 10, look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. We have Jonah's unsightly resurrection from the dead. That, that is what this picture is, a real resurrection. He passes through the waters of death in the belly of the fish, and he is resurrected. He is set back upon the dry land. He is brought back to the land of the living. But do you see how that resurrection, do you see how that return takes place? He is vomited out upon the dry land. This is a subtle but clear indication that Jonah has changed his direction. He now will go to Nineveh. He's changed his direction, but he has not changed his disposition. The work of salvation on his behalf, the work of mercy that Yahweh has worked through death for Jonah, has not changed him as it should have. And here again, he pictures Israel... How often had Israel been shown mercy? How often had they been shown mercy? And yet it had not humbled them the way it should have. Jonah is saved through death. Yahweh saves, works his work of salvation through death. Through the waters of death, Yahweh brings forth life. This is what the message of Jonah chapter 2 is. Yahweh delivers through death the waters of death. And this has actually been the pattern throughout the entire Old Testament. Yahweh brings dry land out of the chaos of the waters. He creates, remember, Yahweh creates. Dry land, brings forth dry land, and sets man upon the dry land out of the chaotic waters in creation account. And then he covers over the land again, remember with the waters of the flood. And he delivers Noah through the waters, again in the belly of an ark. He delivers his people through the death of waters, and then sets them again upon the dry land in a work of new creation. And then, he rescues his people in the Exodus. He parts the waters. He saves them through the waters upon the dry land. You remember that? This is the pattern. This is what he does. And in that salvation, the salvation of the Exodus, he parted the waters, brings them through the waters of death. He brings them through on dry land and brings them to a mountain where his presence dwells, and there at that mountain he gives them a law, a law that is given to them so that they can be his privileged people. He gives Israel a privileged role. You will be my treasured possession, he tells them. You will be my nation in the midst of all the other nations. You will be my kingdom, a priest, a holy nation to me. And why? So that through those people, through God's people, Yahweh can reflect to the nations his glory. The law is to be their their wisdom to the nations. But they forsake, Israel forsakes their role. Israel lays down their role. They forsake what Yahweh has commissioned them to do. You you see, the salvation of God's elect was never meant to be the end in in and of itself. You hear what I'm saying? The salvation of God's people is never meant to be the end in and of itself. The salvation of God's people, the salvation of his elect, the salvation of his treasured possession is meant to be a means to an end. The fact that God has saved a people is meant to be a means to the end. That is bringing glory to himself upon the face of the earth. This is why he has saved a people for himself. To bring his glory to the nations. Israel lays down that role As they commit idolatry. As they forsake Yahweh. But again, the election of God is without repentance. They cannot flee from Him. They cannot lay down their role. They will bring glory to Him. And so the Lord, Yahweh, drives His people away. The people that He has saved, He drives them away into exile. The Lord drives them away into exile. Where they experience the judgment of Yahweh, the discipline of Yahweh for their sin. But at the same time, it is not just discipline, it is rescue. It is deliverance. The Lord seeks to deliver them from their sin. That is the heart of his discipline, of his people. He wants to rescue them from their sinful idolatry. And he tells them, he tells them, I I want you to, I want you to, I want you to, to listen to this. If you can, turn back. Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25. Verse 6. I want you to listen to this. Isaiah 25, verse 6. It says, On this mountain... The Lord of Hosts, here's picturing the restoration of his people. He, he drives them away. He drives them away to judgment, but with the hope and with the plan to restore them. And he says this On this mountain, the Lord of Hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of wage dine well refined. And he will, listen to this, he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Through his discipline of his people, he will bring them to a restoration. He will bring them to the mountain that he has always intended to bring them to. And in their restoration, he will wipe away the stench that they are. And he will give them a restored place in his presence. And he will swallow up death forever. That is his intention. That is his plan. He promises them, his people Israel, that he will bring them back from that exile. When he does, when he does, that rescue will be accompanied by a new covenant. Not like the covenant he made in Mount Sinai, but now a new covenant. And in this new covenant, he will put in them a new heart. And he will give his very spirit to them so that they can keep and obey his law. This is the work that he will do in the return from exile. He will rescue them, truly rescue them once and for all from their sin and idolatry. And how does he accomplish this? He accomplishes this through the death of his son and the resurrection of his son. The death and resurrection of his son. I want you to listen to these words, 1 Corinthians 15. You know these words. Not listen. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, the Apostle Paul says, I tell you this, brothers flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written that we just read about in Isaiah 25. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the resurrection. And believe it or not, Jonah pictures that ultimate resurrection Yahweh is saving through death. The death of his son, he will save his people through the death of his son. Where Jonah was swallowed up by death, death will be swallowed up by life. The life the life of his son Jesus Christ so jonah 1 and 2 preaches to us the gospel jonah was rebellious and unwilling to follow through on the commission of yahweh he self selfishly sacrificed himself to avoid yahweh's will He is brought to death and he is resurrected from death but he has not been changed internally. He has not changed his disposition but unlike Jonah our Lord Jesus willingly took the commission of his father. He selflessly sacrificed himself giving himself as an atonement for sin the wrath of God against sin Jesus bore that wrath he died for sinners and he was raised from the tomb conquering death conquering sin and I return back to what Jonah said At the end, he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I read that. And I say, Jonah, you're right, technically. But the Lord has done something, Jonah, that you can't even imagine. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. You're right, Jonah. Those who worship idols, they have no part in the covenant promises of Yahweh. You're right. But the Lord is going to accomplish something by the death and resurrection of his son that you cannot even possibly imagine. He is not going to wait for sinful idolaters to come to him. He is going to go to them. And he's going to take away their sinful idolatry by his own death and resurrection. And he's going to give them these pagan, idolatrous Gentiles. He's going to give them his own spirit. He's going to give them a new heart so that they too, Jonah, the Gentiles too, Jonah, they can also say, I will thank the Lord for his mercy. He has brought me from death to life. I can with you, Jonah, say, He is my God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I can be with you, Jonah as part of God's people and that's what Jonah can't understand now what an amazing salvation that he's brought us to so how could we live in pride when it has been all of his work except for his work of mercy I would be a pagan idolater today not only that how could I not participate with him in this mission that he is on to bring sinners to himself? I have been a beneficiary of that mercy, as have you, many of you. And we now have the privileged opportunity to speak of that mercy, to speak of the death and the resurrection I mentioned in our prayer at the beginning the death this past week that was experienced in Texas. I don't know if, if you've ever been to Valde, Texas. I was born just a few, a couple hours from there. And communities all through West Texas where there, there are no churches. It's all Catholicism and charismatic craziness preying upon the impoverished Hispanic culture. Death was brought to bear in that community in a tragic and unthinkable way. And there's a lot of people saying, where is God in all of this? Keep your prayers. We don't need your prayers. And putting their hope in all sorts of things. And when I, when I hear this and when I think about it, my heart grieves But at the same time, I am reinvigorated in our purpose to bring life to those who live in death. To bring life to those who live in death. Because we know the one who gives life. We know that death has been swallowed up in victory. We know that. And we have an opportunity to bring life. To those who live in death I just want to implore you again live your life even this week live your life not looking at yourself but looking at God and what he's done for you the mercy that he's given you and being reinvigorated in this purpose in this mission to bring the truth and the, the good news of life to those who live under the shadow of death What an opportunity you have. You have people living all around you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its work in our hearts and our lives. I pray that you would take Jonah chapter 2 and these truths that we've looked at in 1 Corinthians 15, Isaiah 25, and really several other places throughout Scripture that we have thought of as we've, as we've listened to your word this morning. I pray that you'd use your word to expose us, to cause us to stand bare before you, that we would not hide in sinful pride behind our salvation, but that we would use this salvation that you've given us as motivation to extend your mercy to those who are lost, even to those who are unthinkable in our minds as being candidates for salvation. We are all unlikely candidates for salvation. Lord, we know that. So I pray that you would motivate us this week. And I, I pray for those who are here today who do not know the peace of a relationship with your son, that they, they don't know in their heart they are not at peace. They still very much live under the shadow of death. I pray that you would take your truth today, that you have, you have taken the wrath for sin and you have paid for it through your son, Father. You have given victory over death through the resurrection of your Son. And any any soul here, if they will just simply turn to you, a simple prayer, admitting their sin and turning to you in faith and the, the salvation that you've provided in your Son, Jesus, that you will save them, no matter who they are, no matter how far they've gone away from you, that you will save them if they will but turn to you I pray that you do that work. It is all your work. Salvation belongs to you, Lord. We pray that, declare that in your name. Amen.